when I would walk past the TV and the news would be on and they would do this call, you know, the trials, they need more African-Americans, more Latinx people of color to join the clinical trials. It just kind of hit me one day that, you know, hey, they're talking to you. Clinical trials are so big. But I think when I kept hearing the calls and it finally clicked, like, hey, they're speaking to you. I didn't even think twice about signing up and participating. That is Dr. Dawn Holt. She holds two PhDs, one in medical pathology and the other in clinical psychology. In her professional life, she describes herself as a bench scientist and researcher, working behind the scenes. In her personal life, she's an active member of Kingdom Fellowship AME Church in Calverton, Maryland. That's located in Prince George's County, which borders the nation's capital. Over the last year, with one foot in the world of science and the other rooted in her faith community, Holt has stepped forward to become a public health advocate, educating community members about COVID-19 prevention and increasing understanding and confidence about the vaccine trials and their effectiveness. I'm Umbreen Khan, and this is Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices, exploring the ways beliefs shape our world. This is National Public Health Week, and we're taking a closer look at people of faith working in partnership with public health advocates to increase vaccine confidence. We begin with Dr. Dawn Holt, sharing her journey from a backbench scientist to becoming a volunteer public health advocate. The end of last summer, I signed up to participate in the trial. I didn't really share with a whole lot of people at the time that I signed up because I knew that there was some apprehension about the actual vaccines and the process and what was perceived to be how quickly the vaccines were coming out. What I also understood was that a lot of people didn't understand the years <laughs> of research that have actually gone into the development of these vaccines. In these vaccines, there's only one new component, and that's the actual information that boosts the immune system against the actual COVID virus. I have a PhD in medical pathology. And so I spent over 10 years at the research bench doing uh, biomedical research. My area of expertise is tumor immunology. So I looked at ways to target and limit metastatic breast cancer. So kind of because I knew all this stuff, I kind of kept it to myself until later on having a conversation with Reverend Watley and some other members of the church. And it may have been like late September Our conversation initially began as trying to get more people to participate in the trials. We knew that at the time Moderna and Pfizer wanted to make sure that there was enough representation in the trials from women and African-Americans and Latinx. They also wanted to make sure that there was enough people who had diabetes, 
cardiovascular diseases, you know, who were in those categories because they really wanted to get a full picture of the impact of the vaccines on different demographics. I started speaking on several church panels, speaking across the country, just sharing my story. It wasn't until at that moment, it was like, oh, wow, you're, you're actually starting to make, <laughs> you know, a huge impact. I mean, I think a lot of times people think of a clinical trial is you show up one day, they give you the vaccine and they send you home. When in essence, no, 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 no. It is a full out process. The nurses, the doctors, the researchers there that are connected to the clinical trial, they are going over documentation with you. They're making sure that you actually understand what's involved in the process, what are the outcomes, what is your participation going to be like in the trial. They're asking you lots of questions about your medical history, your medical background. They care. They want to make sure that you're going to do okay during the trial. So it's not just show up once, they give you a shot and they leave you to your own. They're going to be there with you the rest of the walk to make sure that you're okay and that the outcomes of the trial are going to be beneficial. In our community, the church plays a huge role and that if people were going to be listening to their pastors and the people who attend their churches, they're going to really be looking to them for just the assurance that this is going to be something that's okay. And so when Reverend Watley and the rest of the team started to take a stand for participating in clinical trials, and then when Pfizer and Moderna were moving closer to receiving their emergency use. This is the FDA saying, we've looked at the d data from the phase three clinical trials. It's showing that the vaccine is effective and it's safe and it's okay to now be used. FDA has certain standards and is not going to give it full approved until the clinical trial is complete, but they can give an emergency use if at the completion of the phase three, which would be 60 days after the last person received second vaccine, if they can show that it's effective and safe, that they can give an emergency use. I've read Moderna and Pfizer's final report submitted to the FDA. They're very thorough and they pretty much explain and go through everything, kind of like what I went through with the clinical trial. You're being monitored and you're going back. I've probably been back at least six times since last fall. And so you get the shot, you go back two weeks later, you meet with the nurse, and then, you know, they take samples. They're looking to see if you have antibodies. They're looking at your platelets, your white blood cell counts. They're making sure that you're receiving the appropriate immune response, that you don't have any adverse effects. I have an app on my phone every week. It clicks up. It asks me a series of questions. I'm constantly being monitored. I've had to go back three more times in the next year or so. Even after getting the second shot, you still continue to go back. And they're still making sure that this, the vaccines are effective as well as safe. This past Saturday, I was speaking to a woman that attended our church. She's a nurse. 
And she was just describing to me how she said she didn't have vaccine hesitancy, but this vaccine, she was kind of on the fence about it. And, you know, it was just like as being a nurse, you know, working in an emergency room environment, she was just still kind of, she wasn't hesitant, but she wasn't going to rush out and get it. But she actually watched one of the panels that we sat on and she literally told me, she said, you explained everything that you experienced participating in the trial and everyone else on the panel was so open and forthright and provided the information that we needed to really understand this vaccine. And she said, when it became available to me, I didn't even think twice. I went ahead and got it. So I identify myself as a Christian. And so I believe that my faith has played a huge role in this whole pandemic. A lot of us have found ourselves praying a lot more, studying, you know, seeking God in these moments, especially when it comes to kind of like, okay, all right, God, what's, what's, what's purpose? You know, what's my purpose? And I've totally believed that this whole thing with me coming out and being an advocate, uh, not just for the clinical trials, but for, you know, trying to remove some of the hesitancy when it comes to vaccines has all been tied and in line with the purpose. When I signed up last summer, I had no idea <laughs> um, that I would be speaking to people all across the country, to different congregations ab about COVID and about vaccines. I'm excited about it, and my faith has just grown even stronger. You know, being a bench-based scientist, we're always wanting to work in the background. Everything that you do from a science perspective, it's, it's at the bench. You're very quiet. And so what this has actually done is it's allowed me to kind of find my voice and just be able to speak to people and impact their lives. Dr. Don Holt's voice is having an impact. She's featured in a number of outreach and public health webinars and community events to reach groups who may have reservations about the vaccine, including African-Americans and Latinos. Her ability to translate the most complex processes into lay language, it's a skill, something her pastor, Reverend Matthew Watley, recognized immediately. You know she's super smart, right? Oh, I got that. I got that. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, two PhDs, really? Is that necessary? <laughs> he leads Kingdom AME Fellowship in Silver Spring, Maryland and Calverton, Maryland. It's one of the largest and fastest-growing African-American congregations in the Maryland suburbs. Last year, as COVID spread and began to disproportionately impact African-American communities, Watley began networking and calling on fellow pastors, encouraging proactive outreach to educate and inspire confidence in the vaccine trials. What I said to my colleagues at the beginning of this was, is, listen, never waste the crisis. If you are unable to preach a compelling message during this time, I'm not certain you're called to preach because it's brought the reality of death into all of our consciousness. It's brought the commonality of humanity that at the end of the day, we're not black and white, we're people and we're people made in the image of God. And so for me, I find it to be a very encouraging time to be a person of faith and to encourage others who are struggling to find faith. As you well know, uh, there is larger hesitancy in the African-American community uh, born out of decades of medical racism, 
uh, any number of high profile instances where African-Americans uh, were harmed intentionally or by way of neglect. And so there's obvious and rightful uh, concern around any new medical intervention. What were you hearing from them that got you concerned? Several things, obviously, Tuskegee, Henry Lacks, but also Remember, we had a uh, presidential administration that was denying the existence of the, of the virus, was, you know, suggesting that people should use Clorox, was promising the vaccine, you know, by a date certain, which would suggest that the regulatory process was being undermined or compromised. So there were rational uh, concerns that people had that needed to be addressed. One of the things that, you, of course, you know, is that being in D.C., we have a front row seat to the federal government. So I have members who work at the CDC and the NIH and FDA. And so when I hear about the government, I can actually put faces to that. And so it was easier for me to sort of demythologize from my own concern and then to help others uh, to go along that same path. So it was important for us to try to use every means uh, necessary to get the word out that these vaccines were safe, that they weren't created too quickly, that the CDC had been working on this, NIH had been working on this uh, for years, that African-Americans uh, had their hand in not only creating the vaccine, like Dr. Kismikia Corbett, who led the team, uh, but also the four medical HBCUs are actually vaccination sites in terms of the trials. And I actually participated at the uh, Howard University Hospital vaccination trial for the Novavax vaccine. And I was pretty excited about the fact that I actually got the side effects after my second shot, because I didn't know if I just got the placebo. So I was the one guy praying for, for side effects. <laughs> so when the pandemic first started, I started writing to uh, churches and in, in church magazines to try to get their minds around how to respond to this pandemic. The vaccine issue was another one of the things that I knew was going to be of concern because of the conversations I was having with my parents and with my colleagues, people who I respect, people who are well-educated and still have real concern. Did you find yourself struggling to break through to make the case that this is a priority that needs to be attended to? So what became really clear in this fight, and I've experienced it time and time again, is it really is about relational equity. There's so much misinformation, and misinformation is no respect of person. So whether you have a PhD or whether you are ordained, you are just as apt to you know, fall victim to it as anyone else. And so what I discovered was it was working through relationships, long-existing relationships, uh, where we share information back and forth, we trust one another's judgment. Those were the networks that I began to press into to just provide information. I knew that these were very smart people. These are sober-minded people who really had a heart for their communities. And if they could just hear sort of outside of the echo chamber of social media and, you know, quite frankly, uh, mass media, that they would be able to uh, separate truth from fiction and start to, to shift. The research showed that as well, that trusted voices are the ones that get through the most. And so uh, I sort of put together a pastor's toolkit put together any number of forums where we had persons, again, like Dr. Kamikia Corbett, Dr. Leon McDougall, who's president of the National Medical Association, which is the largest African-American medical association, President Wayne Frederick, who's president of Howard University, one of those medical HBCUs that I referenced earlier, as well as actually some members of my church, one of which uh, works for a large pharmaceutical association. So it was important that people could see that this is not something that, quote unquote, they 
in terms of the vaccine have put together. But we as African-Americans have really had a hand in it directly. And that, I think, really made a difference in terms of people coming around. What is the response that you're seeing among your congregants? What is the response that you're hearing from pastors around the country? The truth of the matter is, the African-American church is the first and last line of defense for our community. So whenever there is a concern, we know that we're the ones that are going to have to address it. We're the only ones that own land and have boots on the ground in every community. Uh, we have longstanding relationships politically and socially. Our voices are respected, and we know our people. And so as a consequence, uh, whether it was you know the protest at, in the wake of the George Floyd mur- murder or responding to community need as it relates to food insecurity or trying to combat voter suppression, which we saw in a very strong way during the selection cycle or responding to the pandemic. In each instance, the answer has been the same again and again, the Black church. I knew that, again, it was just about getting the information out. And and we've seen uh, the same results all over the country as African-American pastors have taken the lead and informed their congregations. There's been a great shift. And now African-American pastors are opening up their churches to serve as vaccination sites because they're already serving as testing sites. One of my members said, my mother's on the list here in Maryland to be uh, vaccinated because she's in a nursing home, but I really am concerned that I think I want to wait. Instead of responding to her, I, I encouraged her to watch the forum, and I raised her question to a colleague who also happens to be uh, a Harvard-trained medical doctor, and I asked him her question, and his response was to look directly in the camera and say, I really want to encourage you to have your mother take the vaccine. She's in a vulnerable position, and this is the only protection that she has. The next day, she hit me back on Instagram and thanked us for the forum and said she had signed her mother up and felt great about the decision. She said, I heard what the pastor said, even though he's a medical doctor. She said, I heard what the pastor said. Mm. The Biden administration is making COVID its principal priority. Are you connected to those leadership efforts? I am. And very happy to see uh, their forthrightness. In fact, I just got off of a Zoom right before uh, this interview uh, with some folks uh, who are in senior leadership on his equity task force. I think it's really important as people of faith to make a distinction between partisanship and what, you know, for those who are Christians, call kingdom. And kingdom uh, understanding based on scripture means that we don't align ourselves with either party, that we, we preach the Bible, we preach the gospel. And what's amazing to me is that if you really read your Bible, you, you'll recognize, and this is just my own view, that one party is really good at, you know, speaking against individual sin, the other party is really good at speaking against institutional sin. The Bible speaks against both. (laughs) And so uh, I was hard on, I supported President Obama, but when I felt that he erred uh, outside of what was right, I sit up from the pulpit knowing full well that I had people working in his White House and working on Capitol Hill in my congregation. Likewise, when, when President Trump, and it was very often squared outside of what I thought was right, I did the same thing. I'll do the same thing with Biden. That I think is important, that if you can't make a distinction between preaching and partisanship, then the separation of church and state had on the wrong way. How do you feel about some of the mileposts that are being set up by this administration? Well, I think leadership requires a clear direction, clear goals that are achievable and measures to to know if you're successful. And so what the Biden administration is doing is textbook. 
He's making his strategy clear. He's casting a vision. And then he is putting in place uh, intermediary goals to achieve them. Uh, when you look at the, what my whole frame for this entire dark episode for our country and the world is World War II. And I took the words from Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill said, never waste a crisis. The concept theoretically is called disequilibrium theory. When things are at balance, things move slowly. Bureaucracy takes a long time. But when things are pushed in a disequilibrium, you can make rapid change very quickly. And I think in terms of what the Biden administration has been able to do in its first few months and how we're seeing the vaccine supply ramp up exponentially and infrastructure being put in place around the country uh, to get it administered and get it out. I think we have a lot of reasons to be hopeful, but ultimately uh, we as a country always come down to the individual level. When each of us put aside our, our petty differences, the rancor and the disinformation, and do what's not just best for ourselves, but also do what's best for our brothers and sisters, our fellow citizens. That was the Reverend Matthew Lawrence Watley. He's the founder and senior pastor of Kingdom Fellowship AME, headquartered in Silver Spring, Maryland. And Don Holt, a medical pathologist and public health advocate from Calverton, Maryland. Coming up, my conversation with Melissa Rogers and the role of partisanship and partnership in rebuilding the White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships. Stay with us. You're listening to Inspired. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. (laughs) 